Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that bounces through the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories including the car sales for May 2021 and in our interviews Hyundai will soon be launching the next generation Ionic electric vehicle in Australia. Why is it a major step and how will dealers need to approach the issue is a discussion we will have with Bill Thomas, Hyundai's General Manager of Communications. Alan Zervis chats about two different sorts of small SUVs you can buy for about $44,000 and we catch up with Rob Fraser while driving an Isuzu Ute. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes or there's our Facebook page Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. Vehicle sales for May 2021 show a further increase well over the COVID-affected results of 2020. More particularly, the first three months of the year, total sales were still less than 2019, but with May car sales up 68% compared to last year and up 9% compared to 2019, the year-to-date figures for the first third of this year are now ahead of 2019. The Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries is cautiously predicting that we may swell over 1 million cars in the full-year period. But car companies have struggled to get a full supply of vehicles that the market is demanding, which may be a limitation in reaching this goal. When COVID hit, the rent-a-car companies reduced their stock of vehicles. Now, this segment and private sales are some of the big movers in terms of growth. Many current electric vehicles are based on a current platform designed to accommodate an internal combustion engine. Later this year, Hyundai will be launching in Australia their latest Ionic all-electric vehicle, the first Hyundai built on the new dedicated eGMP battery electric vehicle platform. The low, squarish look has a hint of some of the hot hatches of the past. Apparently this was Hyundai's intent, as their General Manager of Communication, Bill Thomas, says. It's actually interesting the designers used the cues from the original Pony concept, uh, Hyundai Pony, from many decades ago. And that car was actually styled by an Italian design master called Giugiaro. And the cues for the design of the Ionic 5 can be directly linked to Giugiaro's Pony concept, of, of um, and I think that was in the, uh, the 70s. The really interesting thing about this car is that it's big, and we will classify it as an SUV, not as, as a passenger car, because it is a significantly bigger car than you expect. Ute sales continue their strong growth, with the biggest component being dual cabs that suit work, play and family. But there are still some purely workhorse models. The Mazda BT-50 single cab only comes as a cab chassis, on which we tested one of the standard aluminium trays. The relatively lower side and back panels on the tray makes access so much easier than the popular high-sided pickups. There is only one engine, a 3-litre turbo diesel with 140 kilowatts and 450 newton metres, which is more than adequate. The infotainment screen was only 7 inches, but the vehicle does have adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist, as well as a reversing camera, but without showing markings of the vehicle limits. 
It can tow three and a half tonnes. The ride, especially without a load, is jarring. The price, excluding on-road costs, is $39,000 with the standard tray. BMW created its i sub-brand to market test new technologies such as electromobility, autonomous driving, connectivity and digital services before they implemented them in the mainstream BMW vehicles. BMW Australia has now released details of two models in their electric SUV iX range due for release in the fourth quarter of this year. They have large batteries, huge power and torque, and are built with modern materials, from the aluminium space frame to carbon fibre reinforced plastic. Electric cars have a regenerative system which puts back some charge into the battery from the energy needed to slow down. In the BMWs, their system can improve efficiency by adapting to different road situations, as detected by the navigation system and driver assist devices. The BMWs are priced in the Tesla class more than, say, a Hyundai Kona. Excluding on-road costs, the X-Drive 40 is priced from $135,900 and the X-Drive 50 from $169,900. And that has been the news. The relatively recent developments in the electrification of vehicles, most particularly starting in 2000 or so with the Toyota Prius Hybrid, did not sell itself on the elegance of its outward appearance. Although the need for environmental considerations is becoming even more critical, hybrids and electric vehicles can no longer look like a science experiment. Later this year, Hyundai will launch in Australia their next generation of their all-electric sedan, the Ioniq. It doesn't look like a catch-up vehicle, but one that is very futuristic in its design, not only its technology. Bill Thomas is Hyundai's General Manager, Corporate Communications in Australia. G'day, Bill. G'day, David. How are you? Fighting fit. So, this new Ionic 5, it's a new platform? It's a new global platform. The name of it is EGMP, so Electric Global Modular Platform. Uh, It's fully modular, so it can create vehicles of very uh, different sizes and applications. Um, It has a modular battery pack, so you can add or take away um, battery capacity at will. Um, And it's um, extremely well proportioned. Um, And if you look at the Ionic 5 that you mentioned in your introduction, you can see that it's got a long wheelbase and short overhangs. And that wheelbase is actually longer than our largest SUV, the Palisade, which, as you know, David, is a big vehicle. But the... um, the uh, the Ionic 5's wheelbase is actually three meters, which is which is longer than a Palisade's wheel wheelbase, which gives you fantastic interior space. And now we're seeing the, the in this platform the real advantage of, of of electric power because we've got the the ability to put a, an electric motor at each end and maximize the space between the wheels. Um, and it's a it's a, a very very clever and simple design. Now we are actually designing electric vehicles almost from the ground up without saying, well, we're just replacing an internal combustion engine with an electric one. This is a case of being able to, as you say, maximise the layout of an electric vehicle to the benefit of the passengers. And we'll see the shape of cars uh, shifting over the next few years, I think, as as we see more, um, you know, perhaps large SUVs. We're looking at what, what we'll call Ionic 7 um, at some point in the next couple of years, which will be a larger vehicle. Um, and Ionic 6, which will be a sleeker um, vehicle, again, with quite short overhangs, plenty of space inside, but actually really sporty looking. Um, 
you know, wheel at each corner touch. And this is the, the this modular platform gives the designers an amazing sheet of paper to work from, if you like, um, to really change the way that these cars look, both inside and out. The new five, I think five, um, it sits low. It has a squarish, aggressive look with the rounded sort of corners a bit, but it's almost like the hot hatches. It's got that front lights and grille, like a finished strip across the front of the vehicle, which looks like it's got its design cues from Han Solo, Millennial Falcon spaceship from <laughs> Star Wars. By mind, I'm not sure if it's the back or the front. I can never tell with those sorts of vehicles. But but it is really a a, a significant. A looking, different looking car without being uh, crazily quirky. It's familiar, but it's actually interesting. The designers used the cues from the original Pony concept, uh, Hyundai Pony, from many decades ago. And that car was actually styled by an Italian design master called Giugiaro. And the cues for the design of the Ionic 5 can be directly linked to Giugiaro's Pony concept of, of um, and I think that was in the, uh, the 70s. So, it's interesting in that it's kind of retro in its shape, and, and some have compared it with the Lancia Delta Integrale. The, the car fans out there will know that, that car very well. And if you look at the shape, it is quite retro in some ways. But then the really interesting thing about this car is that it's big. If you look at a photograph, you don't really get the scale. But as you walk up toward the car, it gets bigger and bigger, and then you realize, oh, hang on, this is actually an SUV, and we will classify it as an SUV, okay. not as, as a passenger car, because it is a significantly bigger car than you expect. The definition of SUV is an evolving thing at the best of times. Have you had good response from uh, people that have seen pictures of it? Very good, yeah. And we've, we've actually shown some people around the car here at, at Hyundai headquarters at Macquarie Park in Sydney, and it's been universally well accepted. And it's something that, it's a car that really does strike you when, when you see it um, in the metal. It, it is, really is quite something. And obviously, I'm going to say that because I work for Hyundai, <laughs> but uh, I used to... I used to be the editor of Wheels magazine, and um, I, I tell you, I, I'm a complete car head, and, I, and that car is deeply impressive inside and out, and it, it really is a, a design statement, but also a technology statement as the first vehicle to run on this new platform. Hmm. I'm very, very proud of it, and I think that we'll see those vehicles sell quite quickly. I'm glad you raised your previous life before you joined the dark side, as they say, really <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, but is it the same powertrain, or is, has that improved? Oh, just in, in terms of the Ionic 5, it's the same motor um, as you'll find in the Kona electric, but we will be having a twin motor arrangement with Ionic 5, which will make the thing pretty quick in twin motor form. And then it, it was interesting recently, our head of R&D and, and board member, Albert Beerman, um, who's in charge of 14,000 engineers, was asked about uh, a fast version of Ionic 5, an N. I know we do the i30N hatchback and a journalist asked him about that, and he said, could you imagine that we're not working on it? <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty good clue to the fact that there is a high-performance version of Ionic 5 coming with an N badge on it, and it will be quite a difficult car to define in some ways because it needs it obviously would be fast, but it needs to handle. Um, it needs to be able to shift its weight rapidly, and it needs to have a, a character all of its own. So... I am aware that the engineers are working on that car. I don't think it's really any secret, and um, and it's going to be quite something. You mentioned the uh, way of being able to take different sizes of batteries and that. I think that might be a very critical element. We've got caught up in range and range anxiety, yet the average car only travels about 270 kilometres a week. Hmm. And so I'm presuming, of course, if you go for the smaller batteries, that A, you'll save weight, and B, you'll save cost. 
and that might well become, after all, we buy a smaller car, which may not be quite as convenient, in order to reduce costs. Do you see that happening in electric vehicles? Definitely, and it will be important for us to manage the purchase cost of these vehicles, and the way to do that is to offer batteries of different sizes. Obviously, the prime cost of any battery electric vehicle is in the battery, hmm. and we're already doing that with Kona Electric in Europe, and we're actually soon to introduce the smaller battery version of the Kona Electric here in Australia, and that is a very straightforward way of reducing the cost, and it all depends on the customer's needs. As you say, if you've got a 40-kilometre-a-day commute, you can very easily top up overnight and get that energy back. If you happen to be using green energy, then you know, you're emissions-free. So I think that you've got that aspect of it is, is going to be very much a customer choice. We're finding that we've done well with the, the standard ionic battery electric vehicle, and it suits people's needs very well. And the, the Kona electric with the 450-odd-kilometre range, you know, I'm, I'm not sure you need a lot more than that for everyday driving. And even for the holiday place that's not interstate, but certainly out in the country. It's certainly an evolving approach. You talked about customers. Are you noticing anything about the customers now that are starting to focus on electric vehicles? They're very well informed, as you'd expect. These are people who are first adopters and early adopters. They understand the benefits of electric vehicles. They understand the technology to a large extent, and they're particular about their needs. And you know, we've got a, we're aware of our, our customers, of course, um, very well. And we, we, we find that they, they communicate with each other a lot and they understand not only the, the capabilities of the vehicle and what it does, but also how it does it. Um, and we've been finding that when we talk to our dealer network, it's important for them to understand the technology and to have a good grasp of, of how the car does things, um, as well as what it does. And yeah, we're finding that, that, that our customers, certainly at this stage, are very, very well informed. Sometimes more than the salesperson. Yeah, that's right. And it's, you, you just, when, it, when you're talking about training, you, you focus in on the technology and, and the differences between, you know, the different, uh, for example, with Ionic, you've got a plug-in hybrid, a standard hybrid, and then also fully electric. So what do those three different um, vehicles achieve and why are they different and how? And then obviously the other important angle is to make sure that you, you stress the, the green credentials of these vehicles the fact that they're zero emissions and, and not only that, but of course silent pretty much in, in their operation from the drivetrain. So that there's all sorts of different benefits for these vehicles and the customers that are coming in looking at them understand these benefits very clearly. You mentioned the silence. When you launched the first Ionic in Australia and we drove it out through the forest areas, was it uh, west of, I think... Brisbane. Brisbane, yeah, west of Brisbane. We wound the window down and we could hear the birds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're talking then about the technology, but in essence, that then starts to embrace on a salesperson having to engage with where the person's at. Correct, yeah. You and I, of your past history in motoring magazines and mining testing, may have had a great focus on 0 to 100 kilometres an hour, yet is it becoming more important to focus or to engage with where the customer is at? It is, and, you know, we need to talk about the different types of, of charger that you might want to use. We offer a service where if you want to buy a charger with the vehicle, we, we give a discounted price of $1,900, and within that package comes an assessment of your home situation, whether you're part of a strata block or whether you've got a, your own garage or, or just a, as part of the installation process, we, we have our people look at you know, our recommendations for how you, you put your charging um, infrastructure into place. Mm. And this is all part of the, 
the experience of the car. And again, we're finding that customers understand this really well. At the moment, we're not we're not really dealing with ordinary people who might be coming in for a, a petrol-powered car and then get sold across to an electric car. That that just isn't happening. Bill, it's been lovely to talk to you. I thank you very much for your time. You too, David, and we'll get you into one of these Ionic 5s as soon as we can. Okay, okay, it's a deal. I'll, I'll keep that part of the recording. Good on you. <laughs> and, and that's Bill Thomas, who is, of course, the General Manager for Communications, Public Relations and Marketing at Hyundai here in Australia. I've got to say, and I, I deeply respect that they and uh, his support staff are doing some great work in pushing the broad understanding and the, the glorious benefits that we can get if we learn to adapt just a little, I think we'll all be better off. You're listening to Overdrive. Ford Ranger Raptor was first introduced in Australia in 2018 as an off-road performance ute and became instantly popular with buyers. With a bold American truck-like appearance, BF Goodridge all-terrain tyres and specialised Fox suspension, the Raptor certainly looks the part. Inside there are leather and suede powered and heated front sport seats, sat navigation, climate-controlled air conditioning, lane keep assist and a bunch of other safety and comfort features. Raptor is driven by the 2.0-litre bi-turbo diesel engine that produces 157 kilowatts of power and torque of 500 newton metres. It has a 10-speed transmission and terrain management system as well. It's rated at only 2,000 kilograms, so it's not ideal for towing, but its strength lies in driving fast along dirt roads, and for that, it's awesome. The suspension sorts the bumps and corrugations better than any other ute and is comfortable around town as well. Raptor is priced from around $77,500 plus the usual costs and comes with a five-year unlimited kilometre warranty. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. What can you get for 44000 around that amount drive away in an SUV? Well, I've been driving the MG ZS Electric and Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys has been driving something different. Alan, what's been your transport for the week? David, I've been driving something around the same size and price, the Kia Seltos. They both fit in the small SUV, which is not the smallest. There is a light SUV category. But now the MG ZS, mainly petrol engines, has been top of the list in terms of sales. Mitsubishi ASX and Hyundai Kona's in there. And uh, the Kia Seltos. I don't like the name Seltos. doesn't appeal to me. It was something to do with the Greek god I seem to remember from the launch. It sounds like a peppermint you have when you when you want to sort of get fresh breath or something. Anyway, It does. It does after a garlic meal. But now a petrol Kia SUV at 44 in that class, that would be a pretty uh, upmarket version, wouldn't it? It does feel upmarket, and I think if you look especially at the front, those uh, LED lights look spectacular. Now, that's not to say that Kia don't have a, a, a car, an SUV, in that size, but it is not in that price range. It's another 20 grand more. It is an electric vehicle, but it really still looks like a more traditional SUV, doesn't it? It does, uh, and not a brand new one either, if I'm being honest. It's not ugly by any sense of the imagination, but... Did you find the Kia Seltos a little bit more futuristic in its looks? I think the Kia is just about blitz everything else on the market at the moment. I, I, the, the last three of their cars to be released have looked absolutely sensational, and one of them's a people mover. The Seltos, 
What sort of engine did it have? There's a, there's a 2 litre and then there's a 1.6 turbo. And I think the 2 litre has 110 kilowatts and only 180 newton metres, but the 1.6 litre turbo has 130 kilowatts and 265 newton metres. That's more performance-oriented, clearly. It is more performance-oriented, and it's a, it's a, a much lighter car, obviously, uh, you know, than an EV, but of the two Kia engines, that's the one I prefer. Not only does it have more power than the lower engine, but it's also got a DCT, so a direct a double-clutch transmission, instead of the much maligned CVT. Inside the Silcos, is it as modern as the outside? Hmm, modern. I... Yes, it is. It is It is modern, but it's not only that it feels cutting edge. They've done clever things inside to make it unlike other cars on the market. So there's lots of that piano black around, which we quite like. I think that looks classy, unless it shines sun in your eyes. But they've got kind of a disco setting to the ambient lighting, which I quite like. There's a bit of 70s child in me somewhere. <laughs> Inside the MG, you had a quick drive of it. It is rather cutesy with, and a little bit cumbersome in the infotainment interface. The infotainment system, as you rightly pointed out, looks a little bit like a kid's toy. It has three panels to choose from with a very uh, bright colour background to each of them, three within the seven or eight inch screen. You know, it's divided up in the, in the home screen. And none of the colours are my favourites. They just all are. They're just. It's just too much. It's too in your face. They're too bright. If they just dull that down, maybe it would look a little bit better. I dulled it down when I was driving at night, and then the next morning in the daylight, I had the devil of a job seeing how I could undo it <laughs> because the screen was so dark. I don't want to over condemn it though, because I drove it on some country roads with rather twists and turns to it. And I found it very enjoyable. Even on the roughest stuff, it was actually quite smooth. And I think a lot of that is down to the extra weight that's low down in the batteries. But having said that, I st- it, it feels relatively neutral to drive. The steering feels neutral. The suspension is relatively well sorted. I, I don't want to condemn it either because I liked it. Now, in fact, they have smaller batteries. It only has a range of about... They claim 240. I never saw more than 200. And having leaf, left it charging even overnight and, and for a day and a half. So horses for courses if you've got that sort of money. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Giddy up, David. <laughs> and that's Alan Service from gaycarboys.com talking about the difference between a typical internal combustion engine small SUV, the Kia Seltos, and a full electric model, the MG ZS Electric. You're listening to Overdrive. Peugeot 2008 GT Sport, released earlier this year, brings to the premium segment a difference in style and philosophy from the usual offerings. The first thing you notice is the stunning design. It's quite possibly the best-looking premium SUV in the segment. Flanking the bold grille are stylish LED lights and the theme continues once inside with Nappa leather heated seats with massage function for the driver. There's a small sports steering wheel that sits below the configurable 10 inch 3D i cockpit. There's a couple of clever features as well such as walkaway locking, surround reverse camera and a park assist function that will help you park the car for you. 
It's powered by a 1.2 litre three-cylinder turbo petrol engine, produces enough power and torque driving the front wheels through an eight-speed automatic transmission. It has a raspy exhort note and a very zippy performance around town. Priced from $43,990 plus the usual costs, it's actually pretty good value when compared to the other premium SUVs. This is Overdrive across Australia. As briefly noted in the news, I was testing the latest Mazda BT50 Ute with a single cab that's no room behind the front seats. It comes in a cab chassis and I had the standard aluminium tray on the back. The tray has heaps of room and good access. One engine, a 3 litre turbo with 140 kilowatts of power and 450 newton metres of torque. It was an automatic with four-wheel drive which is very helpful on a wet road or a muddy work site. The interior was clearly aimed at function, not fashion. It can tow three and a half tonnes. Without a load, the suspension certainly felt the bumps. The price, excluding on-road costs, is about $39,000 with the standard tray. At the same time, our off-road and SUV expert, Rob Fraser, was driving the Mazda's brother, an Isuzu D-Max Ute. I recorded our conversation as we drove. So we're driving in what is really a, a workhorse ute. It is the Isuzu Max, is that right? Isuzu D-Max. D-Max. Now this is the same as the BT50 Mazda? Yeah, there was a joint development for that and uh, a, there's a lot of crossover between the two of them, absolutely. It might as well. This is uh, an extended single cab. What do they call that? Um, space cab, I think it is, or extra cab. There's, there's a lot of different names for different manufacturers, but cab and a half. Now, I think that is really helpful, extra bit. Oh, but yeah. Does it compromise the tray? Look, you do lose probably about, th I mean, whatever it is in the back that you lose out of the tray. So in a, in a normal size tray, you'd get 2.4, whereas this one you get 2.1. Um, but it's still, there's no difference to the width, and it's still well and truly large enough to put a lot of stuff in the back there but the practicality you get by having just that extra bit in the back it's huge for example the little thing if two of you go shopping it means you got to put your shopping in the boot in the the tray whereas sure. here go everywhere exactly whereas here you just slot it in the back there and away you go if you do happen to go for away for a weekend which we did actually you just put a bit of luggage in the back there and away you go and you can lock it up and you can lock it up and this has French doors, doesn't it? The, 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 the suicide doors. The, yeah, a suicide door is the second door back. Yep. It opens what we might say is the wrong way. Yeah, and it gives a huge amount of practical load area, good, good access. And you can, if you need to, you can actually fit someone else in the back there. Yeah. I'm just looking, this one actually doesn't have seatbelts. Seat no, but, but a lot of them do actually have seatbelts where you can sit someone in the back there. I mean, for a... For a very short trip. Yes. For a for a four-wheel driver, I mean, this is an unusual vehicle in that it is four-wheel drive and automatic. Most of these vehicles are two-wheel drive and manual. In order to keep the costs low? I think for a lot of the work utes, they're just used around town, so they don't actually need the four-wheel drive. But the manual makes it rather tiring. If it was me as a tradie, I would be buying an automatic every day of the week. Yeah. But, you know, if you are going to go camping in this, you can put a 40-litre fridge in the back there. Just in this back bit here, yes. Um, you know, with the rest of your gear, and it just means you can have your stuff you know, inside that you don't want to get wet or dirty or whatever. And put the rest of the stuff in the back. 
the single cab is really absolute work. Yes. Uh, uh, accepting that you're not going to have uh, many items of importance other than big tools. One big difference for me between the single cab and the space cab is that there's just a little bit more room for me to tilt the back of the seat back. Mm. So being long-legged, the seat's all the way back, I actually have a bit more room. Oh. Yeah, whereas I do tend to feel just a little bit cramped in a single cab ute. See, for me, and it also, I guess, depends upon your circumstances as well, like I would like to buy a ute, but for me, a dual cab ute is a bit of a waste because I don't really need to sit two people behind me. Whereas if they built something like this in the X-terrain trim with all the gear and the leather and, you know, that type of stuff, that would be a perfect unit for me. But they don't. But they don't. Okay, so I'm getting a pretty basic sort of features. Uh, it, the thing I really like about it is its simplicity. You have nice big knobs that you're not fighting with a screen to do the fundamentals, like change the temperature or so on. Yeah, it's nice and simple and the user interface is very easy. It's not a big screen. Not a big screen. No. But you do get a lot of the safety features in this basic model, like the blind spot indicator, ah. which just turned on as we were talking. Um, you know, and a lot of those sort of, you know, the, the IDAS, which is the Isuzu driver assist systems, um, they, a lot of those are, are in this base model, which is really good. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Bill Thomas, Alan Zervis, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.